Hi, I'm Deepak and you're listening to The Meaning Quotient, a place where we celebrate human potential and stories of finding meaning and purpose. Today, we have with us Shantal, a film producer, a communication expert and a dreamer who contemplated Christian mythology, Judaism and astrology. Can you believe even as a child? This is her story of getting reconnected to her innate perspective against all arts. Welcome Shantal. Such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thank you Deepak for inviting me um here today. And yeah, thank you for allowing me to share my story amongst others. Um this beautiful new platform that you're creating. Especially Christian mythology and astrology. And it's, it's so potent were you always interested in it before or it's a more recent interest where did it start as a child yeah um i've always been interested in mythology and religious tradition um and i do think the two work hand in hand a lot of the time even though they don't always have to So I come from a very mixed religious background um which meant that I was exposed to a lot of religious diversity and I also come from a country um with a lot of religious diversity which I think has sort of served me well but from a very young age um I was initially brought up as a Christian um both both my parents started practicing christianity um more strictly when when i was around 5 or 6 and at that age um i i immediately became interested in the roots of the tradition my parents were following um i wasn't very interested in the modern day practices i was more interested in um who was jesus for example what was the world that jesus came from um and that's why from a very early age i developed this sort of psychological obsession with israel um as this land filled with um christian and 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 jewish folklore stories belief um you know more so than just faith i was never um the type of child um to believe in a religion on blind faith um i didn't necessarily have to question everything but i wanted to know where's the lineage um, and and how does it link to the education in the schools and the universities and your friend circle you were getting at that that time it doesn't really link um you know so in my youth until i was about until i went to high school uh, we were still in apartheid and so um one of my saving graces was that my parents sent me to um private christian schools and these schools um had special concessions where um indian and black people could participate in those schools so luckily i was always i i was always able to mix um with others who who may not have grown up with the same religious background as myself however um it was a very strictly 
um, dominated Christian environment, evangelical or Dutch reformed. And so you weren't really encouraged to look beyond the borders. Um, and you definitely weren't encouraged to look between the gaps between Christianity and Judaism, which is where my primary interest was. Um, I, from a young age, I was interested in um, the separation between these two faiths. Um, historically, you know, what, what, uh, how did these huge schisms develop between these two communities, um, which were clearly linked historically, and um, how does that continue, you know, today into our culture? So um, I, I just picked up books from the library, you know, by myself and, and started reading um, about Judaism and also actually, funny enough, um, Buddhism and Hinduism at a young age. I, d I don't know why, but I sort of somehow saw some sort of connection and link between um, Judaism and and maybe um, Hinduism in in the hierarchical structure um, and just in the entire expression of um, a um, how could I put it a temple focused service. So in high school, I actually then went to an art school to do drama. Um, and I wasn't even a very good actress, but I was very talented in um, the history of theater and, and learning about, um, well, anything to do, with, to do with history. You know, when I was young, I, I did sort of have a, a bit of a um, photographic memory for things that I was interested in. Um, so I just, I just felt that I wouldn't do well in a traditional academic setting. Um, first, I was, you know, I questioned things a little more than I should. Um, I was a very big dreamer. I spent a lot of my days, you know, um, lying under trees or climbing trees or sitting by myself, you know, watching birds and, and leaves. Uh, so when I finished um, drama school, I didn't really know what to do. At the time, I wanted to go um, to Israel, but it was the second intifada and, and my father didn't really think it was a good idea. Um, so I did one year of media studies, you know, just to gain some skills. I worked another year um, and then I and then I went to film school. And in film school, um, I gained to be a producer, actually, because I had very good organizing skills. And once I finally capitulated and agreed to take on that role, um, I started to flourish. And, um, I be, you know, I sort of, I became the best student um, for three years in a row in my class. And I just, I did very well. And um, I didn't, I never ended up making, well, I did make films, but I never ended up becoming a filmmaker in a traditional sense. But I feel that going to film school uh, was kind of like a boot camp for me, like a training ground where I learned how um, to organize, how to communicate with people, how to work with people in a group, um, how to workshop creative ideas together in a group. Um, yeah, I learned a lot about cohesion, which was important for me. 
you know, this is surprising to me. And I see where I'm coming from. Like when you said that you went to film school, I was like, oh my God, the land of dreams. And you were, that's what you were dreaming as a child. And it's finally coming true. And then you went on to start becoming more organization skills and cohesion and teamwork and all around that. Was it a natural progression or you were forced to do something like that? Or it, yeah, what what was happening there? Yeah, so, um, you know, and, and it, the other strange thing that happened during that period is, you know, I said to you at school, I didn't feel very academically talented. When I went to film school, um, my philosophical mind awakened. And all my papers and sort of, um, you know, you have to, for every film project you work on, you actually have to lay out um, the trajectory of what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And I just really excelled in expressing myself academically within that environment. But I, I wasn't a very good director, again. And the um, owners of the film school, you know, pulled me in and sat me down and they said, you need to do producing. And I refused. I actually put up a... You were forced to do that. Yes. How does that, does that bring any memory? I, I see your facial expression changes with that. What's, what's, what's going on there? Yes. Um, so, the, you know, this, the whole sort of um, conflict between my natural ability to organize... Um, and to bring other people together and to, in a way, almost see what other people should be doing. Um, that has always sort of, in a sense, been in conflict with me finding the right space to explore what I should be doing. So, you know, that representation of being forced to do what I'm sort of, quote-unquote, naturally good at um, is something that I think still continues. And um, that trend just continued. Um, you know, and I would, what, whatever people would say to me, here, yeah, you can do this because you're good at it, I would just take it on. And part of my, my journey at the moment has been, um, in a sense, to disengage from that aspect of my personality, to allow some space for a rebirth. Um, of something that I you were a child who was a dreamer who was always interested in mythology who connected Judaism to Hinduism at a very young age and see the similarities which many people would not have ever seen who like to see the trees and the leaves in that you entered into a film school and thought that this is something where your dreams might come true and where being dreamer is appreciated. And you were forced to go to become a producer just because people see a great organizer and leader in you. And that took you to a journey of what happened next. Yeah, um, so I, I immediately recognized in my final year, my fourth year of film school, that if I followed the current trajectory, which would have been a very good trajectory, 
because um, my film won best film when I graduated. Wow. So funny enough. Um, and that was, I suppose, you know, my parents had visited Israel when I was young. They had been studying Hebrew when I was young. And I remember when I was a young girl, you know, just looking through all their Hebrew notes and flipping through the the different concordances. Um, I spent many hours doing weird things like that. And so I decided I just wanted to learn more. Mm. And one day, um, on a Saturday, on a, on a Shabbat, I just walked into a synagogue and I started going to synagogue. Um, and I was doing this all through film school. And I started practicing more and more. Of course, everyone in synagogue knew I wasn't Jewish. And I made some very good friends who... Um, were very happy to study with me. And I became more and more engaged in study. Um, and I took on courses and I you know, started doing activities with the community. By the time I finished film school, um, I was living um, a semi-Orthodox life in the sense that I'd adopted many practices, including... Um, and so the logical you know, sort of path for me then to follow my heart was to actually go there. And so I decided, well, you know, having finished film school, I'm I'm not going to go and sit on a kibbutz and um, <laughs> farm. I'm going to continue my education. So I enrolled to Tel Aviv University to go study the history of the Middle East. And um, my my father's family is actually Lebanese. So I've, I, I have a broader connection to the Middle East as well. Um, and I did that, and I started immediately working in the documentary film business. I started volunteering at a um, co-productions forum for Israeli and Palestinian documentaries in Tel Aviv. And uh, whilst I was doing my, my master's degree, and then I engaged actually at the same time um, in the conversion process. So I lived a very contradictory life because Tel Aviv is a very secular university. Everyone there, you know, we used to joke. It's like sort of the woman, the, the, the uniform for women in Tel Aviv is blue denim jeans because God forbid you are caught wearing a skirt and someone thinks you're semi-religious. So here I was wearing... <laughs> more orthodox clothing going to Tel Aviv University and not going on my field trips on Saturdays because I was um, spending my Saturdays with families in the area keeping the Sabbath and um, whilst all my classmates you know were out looking at archaeological sites and I was traveling twice a week to Jerusalem for classes um, so I, I got to know Jerusalem at a very intimate personal level I spent many, many, many hours walking the streets, um, you know, getting lost in the old city, um, which was a very, very important time for me. I got a lot of time during that period to meditate, you know, on the intersection between Christianity, Judaism and, and Islam. And, and I'd never really studied Islam before, but in my now master's degree, you know, I had I had uh, the opportunity to now come into contact with with um, Islam as well, and 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 I never ended up converting because um, during the process 
a lot of tension developed between myself and my parents, especially my father. Um, and we were a very close-knit Middle Eastern family around, you know, the issue of me leaving the tribe. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, um, I, I got the sense that if I did convert, I would have, you know, in a way, broken my tie to the tribe. So you were again forced to do something which you want to do to make sure that you do something which others want you to do. Yes. Um, yes, and that, you know, um, it was psychologically a, a period, the, the following period that I've only recently dealt with because um, I, you know, I've sort of explained to you that I'd basically been quite deeply engaged in faith throughout my childhood until my mid-twenties, late-twenties. And when I stopped conversion, I basically stopped all communication with God in any shape, form, or way for the next 10 years. Stopped the faith which was your life from the very childhood. Yes, um, that had very strong consequences. You know, um, following that, I immediately embraced, at the time, a very secular Israeli life, which influenced um, my relationships. And, you know, both sort of my um, romantic relationships. And that led to me returning to South Africa to join sort of quote-unquote the family empire um, to fulfill my father's dream of, you know, having everyone work in a family business. And um, and that's where, you know, I for me it's an interesting period because that's when I got involved in agriculture is they started this wonderful business, really amazing business that helped literally thousands of farmers you know, not only in South Africa, but in Africa. And I came on initially as a, um, you know, communication specialist, someone who had a strong media background. Um, and I got insight into all facets of the business, you know, from the farmer level to the agronomist, to the admin, to the executives. And during that process, I was really able to flex those management and leadership skills that I had. Um, I was sent all over the world, you know, firstly into, into like, to Senegal, to Cameroon, to Kenya, to Egypt, um, to different countries in Asia. I, I was exposed to working with really big corporates in the U.S., exposed to a lot of U.S. government agencies, donors, funds, and um, and then having lived in Israel prior, I was asked to manage the technology relationship mm. with the Agricultural um, Institute in Israel, a job I loved, not necessarily. It was interesting. I loved meeting the scientists, but I didn't really love the job, I think, because it was my natural propensity <laughs> to engage in agricultural science. I loved it because I loved the culture. And it was, it, by that time, it had become a second home for me. And so, you know, that, that whole trajectory just snowballed. 
and you know one thing leads to the next one thing leads to the next um and all of a sudden i find myself in 2015 the ceo of a small technology startup offering drone services to farmers that i'm designing products for you were in that phase of your life where not out of choice you were forced to go into and then you were being successful because somebody saw your natural propensity in it and pushed towards it becoming a ceo of a company and just providing some really wonderful things like drones to the farmers on the cutting edge of the things what were your feelings at that point yeah so um the aspect of my job that i loved or jobs during that period was the creativity it was a very innovative space and i i really appreciated the opportunity to um bring innovative ideas to the table but also to connect different people mm. you know um to build new environments but as time went on i became very disheartened with anything related to the corporate environment and how it functions and how it's structured to the broader agricultural environment and by the time i was now running my own little business i was just um i felt sick to be honest and why were you frustrated with the corporate life well um you know i have nothing against corporate businesses i just i just realized um how deeply ingrained the system of perpetual poverty is um in the corporate environment you know so how wealth is generated um in a way that never really benefits you know the farmer in the long run never really benefits the environment and i i would see the individuals working in those banks and these were all you know good people individually but um they were just so tied into a system that they knew all they had to do um was to follow orders and you know they'd continue to be promoted they'd continue to work their way up the chain um and the financial benefits of that are astronomical you know you know the moment you're talking about them i somehow think all the last three lines you said are valid for your life you're being tied to a system you know where the financial benefits are great and if i can add it's difficult it is difficult to get out of it and in in my case um you know sort of three things happened simultaneously the one is that i started engaging in in yoga in sort of 2012 and and that allowed me to re-explore spirituality and so yoga actually helped me to somatically deal with that emotional trauma of um cutting myself off from religion and in 2015 when i concluded my teacher training course which 
um, was a very deep emotional process for me. At the same time, um, the funding for my startup was cut, which, you know, I, I, I immediately recognized as a sign because I'd sort of tied myself into this business and I thought, well, I'm going to have to stay here for the next three years and, um, and then I can get on with my life. And then at the same time, um, you know, after years and years of building businesses together um, and having, you know, um, a lot of success, but also a lot of failure, my, my family's relationship fell apart on, on multiple levels. My parents, um, but also the relationship between my father and I, which had become... Um, very unhealthy in its codependence, you know, for, for the seven years that I worked in um, the family empire, I, in a sense, I served the role as creative director and muse, you know, for my father. And then when I um, was asked to manage the startup, I, I had to, in a sense, we had to switch roles. And, um, and that wasn't healthy you know, so at all. So, yeah, so I got to this point where at some point in 2016, all the threads just started to fall apart. What were the things where you started taking your first steps out of the fourth system where you were successful? Mm. Well, already... Um, after a, f a few years of doing yoga, well, one of the things I did was a very practical step. My long-term relation, I ended my long-term relationship, um, which was a relationship I'd started after I decided to stop my conversion. So it was, it was very interconnected to this period of lack of faith or, or lack of connection to my spirituality. And funny enough, the minute I did that, my my long-standing like sort of religious friend said to me, We've, we feel that you've come back. I have this innate desire to keep balance mm. or the negative version of that could be to keep the status quo. Mm. So an innate desire to please. And I think that is what sort of squashed um, my inner journey is the desire to keep the status quo with my family, you know, by stopping my own religious journey. And then later on, the same thing through, through the relationship that I chose to engage in. And so when I ended that relationship, those barriers lifted. And I think perhaps that's what my friend saw. Metaphorically, you know, what was your state of mind and being at that point? Yeah, I think it was, it was, you know, more um, like the butterfly sort of sitting in the cocoon. Um, you know, you know, you, you know what's going to happen. Well, you don't know what's going to happen. You know that change is coming. Um, I... I really felt that CIS was the place that I needed to come to. And um, and I just, I sold everything and took myself and my two dogs and came to San Francisco. 
how does the future look like what's the future you would like to look like and let's start with professionally yeah i mean i don't know what the future looks like and i also don't like to be too dictatorial with the future what i've definitely realized is that what the future requires is for my spiritual interests to be expressed professionally you have worked a lot in agriculture before and you talk about ecology spirituality and religion and some part of me say ecology does it also link to agriculture industry you have worked in and do you want to bring it together yeah so initially you know I'm, i am a fairly logical person in the sense that i thought okay i'll come in i'll do my phd and i'll focus on you know um large scale agriculture and i'll attack the whole monocropping maize industry cuz i have a lot of experience in that field and then i got here and i just thought oh firstly there's dozens of people talking about this and dealing with this and secondly it doesn't really interest me mm. and so i started to dig deeper and um i realized that an area that not a lot of people were dealing with in the way that i wanted to deal with it was actually um sort of meat consumption mm. and animal husbandry and um i remembered that you know over the years i've through my various spiritual practices i've um how could i put it experimented with different ways of of engaging with food whether that be um i've been you know vegetarian on and off a number of times uh, vegan um obviously lived a kosher diet and each of these things gave me a spiritual perspective on um on violence on non-violence on the taking of life and what that means you know in 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 today and in, in the state of our our planet in the current state of our society and also in um spiritual essence and how spiritual essence is is Im- embodied and imbued in what we consume and one of the things that has fascinated me for decades actually you know for quite some time is the fact that i was always attracted to a vegetarian way of life um mainly because i've often battled with the idea of the consumption of the essence of another so it's not that i've battled with the idea of taking the life of another it's more the idea of say for example me consuming a cow that has accumulated all this incredibly negative energy due to the way that it's been raised and due to the way that it's been reared and slaughtered and what is that what does that mean in terms of my my own energy you know how does that impact my energy so i've always been attracted to a more vegetarian way of life but at the same time i i've never been able to ignore the fact that indigenous peoples hunter gatherers engage in the taking of life this is so fascinating you know 
and it's just bringing some part of you together agriculture spirituality religion and answering or i think the answer will take some time to unfold but asking the questions which is looking at the dimensions more than the industrial world which we are living in or post industrial world dimension so you are not pro or against vegetarianism or meat eating you are exploring what does it mean looking into various spiritual and religious practices you know uh, i'm one of those people that whenever i look at the world i just see so much plurality and because of that i often battle to say this is black or this is white and it's because of that that i've always seen that yes the vegans have a perspective the vegetarians have a perspective and the meat eaters have a perspective because we come from so many different lineages we have different body types we have different health needs um you know it's so it's just i don't think we're designed um for you know one one size fits all so whether it be abstinence from meat eating or specific engagement or ritual sacrifices or whatever the case may be what is the essence of those practices that i feel we very much lost today so you are asking people for reflection and make their own decision is the butterfly coming out of the cocoon yes i i i believe it is you who were having this perspective who found this perspective even as a child and who was forced not to live that perspective and live the perspective of somebody else might be your father might be your relationships and might be somebody else has to fight through everything to reclaim your own perspective yeah i just think that um you know life is hard either way so and this is what i've kind of learned you know you, you're going to face challenges no matter what and i think the question is do you want to face challenges um being unhappy you know whilst you're living the life that you think you should be living or do you want to face challenges knowing that those challenges are a pathway the pathway towards the whole self carl jung said we meet ourselves time and again in a thousand disguises on the path of life like chantal what is required is courage to become one's own self and reach one's own unique potential the process starts when we stop looking to the world for answers which breeds conformity and choose to become aware of and integrate all parts of our own self the magic happens when we have the courage to acknowledge it mm-hmm.